I want to show you some things here, and they were in order until I just dropped them and um, made a big mess. Um, uh, let me see. Where? Oh, if I don't have them in. Okay, here's one. Uh, I don't know how well you can see that particular logo, but this is Union Gospel Mission. Some of you know that ministry. There are, there's more than one location in our city, but this is a ministry that our church uh, supports, at least annually we do that, and they have a large center in downtown Vancouver, right in the area where there's, uh, you know, a lot of fentanyl and a lot of homelessness and a lot of challenges of every kind, and in their center they have uh, all kinds of services for people who, uh, you know, addiction services and um, uh, what do they call them? Um, support groups for people who uh, need help in that regard. They have bunks and uh, single occupancy dwellings as well. They have all kinds of things, a, a thrift store, and they, they, it is a Christian ministry, uh, and they preach the gospel there. They do a good work, and it's a benevolent work, okay? That's UGM. Uh, Part of what uh, Ryan was saying about our giving, some of our giving annually goes to that ministry. This is another one. Now, this is really hard to see. Radanac International. Some of you might remember about five years ago, we had Brian McConaughey, who, who's a Richmond resident. He was a former uh, RCMP uh, sharpshooter and forensics expert, and he... Um, is part of a ministry in Cambodia that uh, goes into free people who are um, trafficked. And unthinkable things, he, he shared things with our church that uh, he even said at one point, he said, I have the skills to do something about those people that it wouldn't be in line with the gospel, but he said some of these gang leaders who are doing unthinkable things to young people, primarily young women, and they, you know, people even sell their kids to people to make money. Radanac takes some of these young kids when they can, when they can get them out of these places where they're being trafficked, and they educate them, and they give them skills so that they can actually be employed, and in many cases, have to relocate them, or they, you know, people don't give them up easily because they're, uh, you know, their money to them. Radanac, we support, and they preach the gospel, okay? Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, we've been a part of for many years. Now, this is a little bit different. Um, this uh, ministry is a Canadian ministry that does a lot of, um, uh, what would you call it, um, uh, the name just went out of my head, legal issues with our parliament. They go and do stuff like this particular letter says we must act now, and it's about medical assistance in dying, and they present real stats that our parliamentarians, in many cases, don't even want to look at. They want to just say, no, people need to be able to end their lives, and oh, and it's all about ending suffering, and they're showing how there's a lot of suffering going on, and this is increasing it in many cases, uh, because they're not even doing palliative care. They're saying to some people, oh, well, you should just end it. 
Your, your family's suffering because you're a burden to them. Well, that is wicked. And EFC does things like intervener status in those kinds of things and a lot of other things. That's just one area. They've been great for dealing with stuff like... Um, uh, our prostitution laws, human trafficking in Canada, many things like that. So it's a different kind of ministry. Uh, this uh, is World Vision, if you can see up in the corner. This happens to be from when the earthquakes happened in Syria, on the border of Syria and Turkey. World Vision, how many people here uh, sponsor a child through World Vision? Probably some, yeah. That's uh, uh, one of their primary ministries, but they do other things as well. When there's like a water project or a drought somewhere, World Vision, because of their status and how they're known around the world, people, yeah, countries will let them in because they know that they do benevolent work. They do preach the gospel, but they also do things so that it's like, hey, we need these guys. When they have things like the, remember the uh, a devastating tsunami in 2006, was it? Or 2004? 2006, was it Boxing Day of 2006? Yeah, that uh, they, World Vision got to go into places in Indonesia where it's a Muslim country. They normally would not open the door to people like this, but they preach the gospel and they, go, they can go in because of what they do. Um, this one, uh, uh, where is it? I've got a couple of these things here. They are... Um, uh, it's like a prayer calendar. It's called Open Doors Magazine. Now, this was a fairly new one for us. Both of these, uh, this is the one that came just last week, The Hidden Persecution of Christian Women. The lead story in there is about uh, a Christian woman in um, Iran. And as I've mentioned here, many of you have probably heard, uh, her name is Sahar uh, that I didn't mention, but we've mentioned how there's a revival happening among Iranian women. Many, many, many are getting saved, but it's not without cost. This particular woman gave her heart to the Lord and got the boot from her husband. She's thrown out. Well, in certain cultures, it's like she's a, a total pariah. It's not like, you know, oh, I'll just go somewhere. No, she, it's, there's a cost. It's a sacrifice. The one the time before is about North Korean women who've come to faith. Open Doors is outstanding uh, for many reasons, but one of the things I love about this is the uh, Gary Stagg is the name of the guy who started this ministry and heads it here in Canada. And they focus very much on the Muslim world, which, as you know, in places, well, North Korea, or, or um, not just the Muslim world, sorry, persecuted, the persecuted nations, many of which are Muslim, like Iran and Syria and um, Libya, places like this, but also uh, North Korea, you know, place where... They're just not favorable. I mean, for many years, North Korea was considered the most dangerous place on the planet to be a Christian. The most persecuted believers in the world are in North Korea. Now, uh, they've been, they're considered number two because Afghanistan has risen to the top of that, even though there's word that there is a great revival and a spread of the gospel in Afghanistan. And... So, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, another ministry that preaches the gospel yeah. 
in a unique setting. This one, Christian Advocacy Agency, which many of us knew by the previous name, and they still use this name for part of their ministry, Crisis Pregnancy Center. Now, this is one that we support annually, and I'm excited to do so because even many unbelievers will support uh, things like World Vision when they say they have a water project and that. But Crisis Pregnancy Center, which gives counseling to women other than just, yes, abort your baby. And they'll, they'll minister to women in a way that's not like Planned Parenthood and ministries or ministries, agencies like that, that do nothing except point toward abortion. Crisis Pregnancy Center, I'm happy to support because many unbelievers won't support it because they see it as uh, an aberration. But it is a Christian ministry, and so I'm happy to support it. They do other things like go into schools and into churches and speak to youth about abstinence because they recognize, you know, it doesn't start once somebody's pregnant. There's issues there before it. This, many of you recognize those colors. This is Samaritan's Purse, uh, specifically um, Operation Christmas Child. This says, by the way, that in, uh, the, at the end of 2022, 10.5 million, actually it's, very, it's closer to 10.6 million shoeboxes were sent worldwide. And Canada was uh, 415,000 of those, um, which I think we sent about 390,000 of those. No, uh, 10.5 million. Uh, so uh, Samaritan's Purse, again, as we've said, every year that we do that, they don't just encourage people to put a, a shoebox together with gifts. But when they deliver them, they preach the gospel. They bring the saving message of Jesus Christ to people there. Okay, um, did that one already? Lastly, this is, I love this. I just heard about this and was on a Zoom call with the, the leader of this about a month ago. It's Harvest Prison Ministries. They know stats about how many prisons are across our nation, how many women are in prison, how many trans men have been transferred into women's prison, how many awful things are happening there, how many Bible studies are going on, how many things are taking place in prisons, and they visit people in uh, maximum, medium, and minimum security prisons, as well as group homes, outstanding ministry that preaches the gospel. I love this about them, too. They don't just go into prison. You know, there, there's a scriptural mandate. I was in prison, you didn't come and visit me. There's something in the Bible that speaks about that very ministry, but they don't just leave it there. They have ways, uh, I forget, how is this? Uh, helping the church be the church to these people so that uh, when people come out, they have ministries to help them reintegrate because that whole thing, recidivism, it's called a people returning to jail, like the, the, the percentage is gross people come out. I know a guy, the guy that led me to Christ, his older brother was a bad dude. He just, from the time he was young, he was big, he, he was tough, he fought with people, he, he beat people up, he did all kinds of bad things. He went into prison, in and out of prison from the time he was about 16 until I got saved. I was almost 24, so he was, I think, two years older than me. He had just come out, and 
uh, this was about a week or two after I got saved. And I asked him, you know, how he was doing. And he said to me, he said, I've thrown away like the most, um, the, these prime years of my life from the time I was 16 to 25. Like he, he went off course and he threw away like these nine years. When in the years after that, I didn't see him, but I would see his brother uh, from time to time who led me to Christ. He said, you know, yeah, he, he offended again. He did because he, you know, people are like, oh, you know, and they didn't want to hire him. And this and, and, you know, the guy was in a, in a bad way where, you know, even though he was determined not to go back there because he knew he wasted his life, it was a real challenge to do so. So I love it where there are things like this, where they're helping people get their feet back on the ground and reintegrate into society. All of this I bring up. Um, all of this I bring up because these are Christian ministries that present the saving message of Jesus, which we've been talking about for three weeks, and I want us to be equipped with that saving message. I want us to have that message so that where we are, we can do something about bringing the saving message of Christ, like these ministries, to different people, like to Muslim women, to people in... Uh, North Korea, to people out of prison, to people in, the, in parliament, to the poorest of the poor, to addicts, to, to everybody. The Bible, the gospel rather, is inclusive. The gospel is for everybody. So can you say it? Say the gospel is for everybody. And, and believe that. Be equipped with the conviction that the gospel is for everybody. Because I... I think, you know, we're probably all the same. Sometimes you meet somebody and you think, okay, that person's just a jerk. And it's easy to kind of think, you forget, you know, the gospel's for him or for her. Because I know this will be in hard for you to believe, but I was a jerk. You know? So somebody goes, what? <laughs> was? <laughs> Sophie. <laughs> um God can get a hold of those people. Look at Paul. Look at Paul. He got a hold of that guy. He was persecuting the church and God got a hold of him. And I think he did it to set an example. To show, you know, hey, he can reach anybody. It's not too late. Big Brad, who used to be in the church, he told me one time, he said, yeah, when because Pastor Mel talked about Big Brad being a pastor, and he said to me one time, he said, I think the stuff I've done disqualifies me. And he was walking by faith. He just meant if my past comes up, some of the things I've done will um, would, would be a, sort of a, a, a smear on the name of Jesus. And it's like, well, if God did it with Paul, he can do it with you. He can do it with me. He can do it with that person who cuts you off in traffic or does whatever. The gospel is for everyone. And all of these ministries are reaching a target group. You might have a target group that God wants to use you to reach. Amen? There might be certain people, certain groups of people, certain individuals. Each of these ministries is embodying 
the saving message of Jesus in a different way. We go in, we build wells. We go in, we feed people. We gather people and administrate people to sponsor kids in, uh, in uh, developing nations. We help uh, women who are in uh, crisis pregnancies and they don't know where to turn. We do that and the gospel is there for them. We deliver shoeboxes around the world to people in nations where they hate the gospel and we preach the gospel. They embody the saving message of Jesus to someone with all that's taken place, all that's taking place, not, not all that has taken place, but all that is taking place in our nation and in the nations of the world in education, in the arts, in, you know, in government, in law enforcement, in uh, media, uh, corruption and wickedness in high places, emanating from corruption and wickedness in the spiritual sphere. There are things taking place, as Ephesians 6, 2 says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, in heavenly wickedness, in in high places, in the heavenlies, with all that and the growing hostility from leaders in our generation toward the church, toward the Bible-believing church, with all of that, it is essential and urgent that we avail ourselves to God to gather in the last day's harvest. That it's, It is urgent and essential that we say, here I am, Lord, send me. Somebody needs to hear the gospel, and God, I, I guarantee you, if you're available, God will use you to bring the gospel to somebody. Yeah, it's not like anybody here is, oh, well, I'm not really an evangelist. I, I wouldn't really say that's my primary calling either, but I know I have led people to Christ, and I know that God's not done. There's more, 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 more. All of you, young Juliet and Ely, God wants to touch people with your lives. He probably already is, and there's more. He wants to use you from the young of, youngest of us to the oldest of us. He wants to use us, and everybody in between, the people who work from home, the people who work in an office building, the people who, are, who have a, you know, a, a uh, a high-paying profession to the people that are, you know, whatever. I'll choose one that nobody's doing, working in a video store. Uh, nobody's doing that anymore. If you are, God, God wants to use you where you are. God wants to use all of us, and, and it's urgent in this hour. Can you say amen? This is an urgent hour. We're, I, I don't mean this as a dark cloud, but as a... a a reality check. We are in the last days. It, the New Testament calls, from 2,000 years ago, calls what they were in the last days. So we know we're closer to the last, last days than they were 2,000 years later. And with all that we see happening, we know that God wants to gather them in. With some of the things, Rose and I have had this discussion, with some of the things happening in the world right now, now is the time for us to do things like Alpha. Now is the time for us to do things that will win people because when the end comes, then it's the end. It's like now, you know, uh, now there's no more decision to be made. So we want people coming in, coming in now. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 
Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, it's abundant, it's great, it's large, but the workers are few. So urge or beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus says the harvest is huge. And I I think he was probably saying that knowing that for 2,000 years we would need to wake up to the reality of how huge the harvest is and how ripe it is. It's ready. The harvest is is, um, plentiful, but the workers are few. There's not that many. Even in the church, the, the people in the church aren't seeing the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is ripe. Go bring it in, gather it in. He says that, and then immediately after saying that to his disciples, immediately following those words, Jesus sent his followers out. It's like, pray this prayer, and then expect to be an answer to your own prayer. Expect, I expect God's doing it in other places. I've prayed that before. God, send out workers into the harvest to reach my family members in Edmonton because I'm not really there. I, I, I know you could reach them with people in their workplaces and that kind of thing. Do it just like somebody's praying for you to reach their family members and friends in your place of work or your neighborhood where you are, that kind of thing. God wants to send out workers into his harvest. The need is urgent. He wants to do, Jesus said, pray that the Lord send out workers, and then he sent them out. He wants to do the same thing with us. Amen? He wants to do the same thing with us. The hour is late, and the harvest is ready. Everybody? No, but a lot of people are ready now. They're ripe, and he, they, they need, the harvest needs to be gathered in. Here am I, God, send me. That's a scary prayer, isn't it? Did anybody else feel kind of scared when you say that? Here am I, send me. Oh, no, what's he going to (laughs) do? But I trust him. I trust him. Like, partly because, you know, I even pray the prayer, God, bring me across the path of, like, low-hanging fruit because I'm kind of slow and I might need all the help you can you know, like, a, a really, if it's going to take, uh, you know, a real complex thing, I might miss the, the, the way to do it. So help me, God. Help me. Give me that low-hanging fruit. Okay? I want to do this today. Now, I know we're not even going to get close to covering Cornelius, our centurion. Um, and this is Peter, by the way. I know it looks like it's Jesus, but in this case, that's Peter. He, um, he was a lot like Jesus. Um, We're not going to get close to covering what I had hoped today, um, but I wanted to share those ministries with you, and uh, so I'm going to go until uh, quarter to ten, and then we'll end for the night, and uh, no, I'm going to go for the next 16 minutes, and and then we'll pick up on this next week, and remember, two weeks from yesterday is Good Friday. And I have good news. On Easter Saturday, I know it's the day before churches celebrate the resurrection, but we're kind of ahead of those other people anyway. Um, (laughs) We're going to celebrate the the resurrection a day ahead, and we're going to have a baptism on that day. So you don't want to miss it, amen? 
I'm very excited about that, and I'm not going to say anything about who it is, but her initials are Risha. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, let's read. We're going to read a long passage today, which may take us almost the whole time, but I... I can we do this? Yes, we're going to read it. Okay, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. There he is. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the, or gifts of charity to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in to him and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze upon him and being very alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he, be, and he beheld the sky opened up and a certain object, like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But arise, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. <clears throat> and on the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I, am too, I too am just a man. I don't know if he sounded peevish like that, but come on, get up. Uh, stand up, I too am just a man. 
And as he, ta- as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me, remember back here it says he was perplexed about it, what, what, it, what the vision meant. And now here he is, less than a full day later, and he's saying this thing. You know how unlawful it is. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Somewhere in the night, in that day, he got the understanding of what that vision was about. That is why, I can, let me say something here. If you get a vision, you get a dream, God speaks to you in that way, don't freak out if you don't totally get what it means and don't make up a meaning. Wait on God. If it seems like, hmm, I sense this is about this or that, uh, uh, give it to God and say, please show me clearly. Maybe even tell somebody you trust who, uh, yeah, present that to a believer that you trust. When I got this, what, what does this speak to you? Do you have any sense of what that means? Do you feel like God's telling you? You could do that kind of thing. So here's Peter. He gets this clearly. Now he's got the understanding. That is why I came without even raising an objection. Meaning before that vision, he would have had an objection. This would have been uh, a change for him. Okay? That is why I came even uh, without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked for what reason you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa, and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Remember that, commanded by the Lord, because Peter's going to say something about that in a minute. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. This is a big day. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Christ, through Jesus Christ, parentheses, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem itself. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us, he, remember, he commanded, what have you been commanded from the Lord? And he says, he, and he ordered us to preach to the people 
and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Okay. I love this. The context of this is Peter's vision. He gets this vision and this moment, this threshold moment where everything's changing. There's, God is breaking his people free from this centuries-old limitation, this centuries-old mindset about who God was for. I mean, the prophets had said, all the families of the world, the prophets had said, it's too small a thing that I, Isaiah said, it's too small a thing that I saved just Israel. No, I'm going to gather all the nations. It had been said, but it hadn't happened. And the circumcised people, the Jewish believers, even after Christ, even though Jesus had said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Okay, that's close by. And to the ends of the earth. It's like, I don't totally know how they took that. Like, maybe they thought to the Jews that are in the ends of the earth, they had been dispersed. But one way, or they thought, eh, let's leave that for the next generation because I'm not really comfortable going to these places. But here they are. It's happening. Peter gets this vision. It's like this vision kind of shakes him. He's perplexed. God gives him the understanding. He goes to this place, and it's kind of like... Oh boy, we're in it now. It's happening. We're surrounded by Gentiles. We're in their house. This is going to be something. And, you know, God started them off easy. He's merciful. This was a, a Gentile belief. This was a, a Gentile convert to Judaism. So he already had this sort of framework, this worldview that included Jehovah. It wasn't like when they, he later went to Athens, when Paul went to Athens, and it's like, they had no sort of frame of reference. And he's starting on a different kind of footing. And he had to find a way to minister them to them. And, you know, God gave him a way. But here, he, this has to do with this centuries-old mindset. And Peter's there, not just for the benefit of the Gentile believers, but he brought all these other guys with him. I think it says in chapter 11, nine others accompanied him. And, you know, it even says these circumcised believers were amazed because they're seeing the Holy Spirit land on these people. It's like, you're kidding, God. You realize these are Gentiles, right? These aren't Jews. And it's like, oh, God knew. And so here he is smashing. Uh, you know, you hear this thing used now, but the glass ceiling. Man, this was a glass ceiling. He's breaking the mindset, uh, changing things, being set free from the mindset about who God can save. That said, I, I see Peter taking 
it's kind of like what Jesus had said to him in the end of John when he said, feed my lambs. It's like he's given a specific um, calling to Peter to, to lead, to set the pace, to be the point man, you know, go out there. And these other people are coming behind him, watching. Like, if, had Peter not had that vision, the, the others wouldn't be there to witness this either. Here's Peter standing up, and it's like, okay, I'm going. And these other guys go with him. He's so, And it's a good thing, too, because later when they go back to Jerusalem, these other guys can testify, too. Yeah, we were there. We saw what God did. Something extraordinary. So here's this thing where um, God is showing how inclusive the gospel is. He's showing that the gospel includes everybody everywhere. Even when he has to push the people in the church to get past their biases. And I'm sure it's happened. I've heard about it happening in churches where there was racial tension. But I got to say, happily, in the late 80s, oh, sorry, the, uh, the late 80s when I was in uh, some churches in the States, this church in Hawaii was like our church. I went in and there, there were people from everywhere because it was Hawaii there were a lot of Asians who were Hawaiians a lot of Filipinos there were Indonesians Singaporeans there were people who were Chinese there were Japanese people then there were Samoans who are just like these hulking guys uh, the pastor said all Samoans can do two things they can sing and they can beat you up and he says, sometimes they sing while they beat you up. And the, the, I got into a row in the church the first day I was there. There was a guy that was 6'4", 325 pounds. Next to him was a guy much smaller. He was only 285 pounds. Another Samoan. And, 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 like, and I thought, wow, I am really like a, you know, in, in strange company, this kind of thing. And then there were people, Hispanics. Then there were, of course, people of every European ethnicity. It was beautiful. It was like our church. I love it. And that's who God, I think God loves it. He looks at it and he wants it to look that way. It's like what the world can't do, God can do, and his church can do. And I know that that word, inclusion, I hate where it's gone in our culture. Every time you hear it, it's like, uh-oh, I'm hearing a warning, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. I hear that term, and I know that it really isn't even true because in most cases, it doesn't include you people, you Christians. It's not truly inclusive, but God is truly inclusive. His harvest is beautiful. His harvest is going to be glorious when we get to heaven. And even on this side of heaven, his, God's kingdom is beautiful in a way that nothing else is. I've met people from other cultures, other ethnicities, where we didn't even have much in terms of language, and there is a brotherhood. I don't know, a, a different word, a fellowship, uh, 
I don't want to use the word comradeship. That's too weird there. But there's a kinship. That's the word. There's a kinship with people even of an ethnicity that I, I hardly know their culture at all. When I went to Indonesia, it was amazing how some people, believers who I know, that their cultural and generational uh, life was very different than mine growing up in Alberta in the era that I did. Very different. Some of you, it's very different. I know that your upbringing and your view from your upbringing is very different than mine, yet there's a kinship. We're connected. There's something Christ transcends those things. And Christ is truly inclusive. He's inclusive in a way that no, no other thing is. All are welcome. And guess what? All are welcome to repent and believe. All are welcome to repent and believe in Jesus. There are churches now that are using the term inclusion and that whole thing to actually, it supersedes the gospel. It's like, if you take it this way, every ethnicity is included in Christ. It even says that plainly. Every nation, tribe, tongue. We all can come. And all of us are free to come and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. One Lord. There's only one. And every other kind of thing, people of every economic status, people of young and old, as we've already said, people of every temperament. It's not just for people that are, you know, bold and outgoing, but those who are shy and retiring, uh, people who are, uh, you know, conservative-minded, people who are more progressive-minded. There are uh, left-wing left people, right-wing people. There are communists and anarchists even. What? Really? Yeah, they all get to come and repent and believe. All of them. Lawbreakers, outlaws, in-laws, lawyers. Believe it or not. <laughs> all people welcome and included. People of every religion. What? Really? Yeah, people of every religion all can come to Jesus, repent and believe in Jesus. God will not. Yeah, politicians, people, the, all people, academics and uneducated simpletons. The gospel is for all. The only criteria that is a must is that we're human and we're sinners. And that's kind of redundant. If you're human, you're a sinner. We have to be human. We have to be a sinner. That's what we have to do to be included. We come as a sinner. We repent. We believe in Jesus. Actually, you could flip that. We believe in Jesus, so we repent. To be included in the offer of the gospel. That's true inclusivity. All. Jesus is not going to change the same yesterday, today, and forever. We come to him, and he, he transforms all of us. We all come. It's the same Jesus. I, it's late, so I'm going to end there and pick this up next week. Um, yeah, Father, we...
we want to be inclusive because you're inclusive. We also want to walk in biblical truth and in no way distort the, the truth of the Bible, distort the gospel. We trust you, God. Just like we sang earlier, we were lost, we were blind, all of these things, and your grace drew us, and now you're transforming each of us, God. We pray, as you told us to, that you would send out workers into your harvest to see others come to that place. Whatever their life was prior to this, that you would bring people to that place of yielding to Jesus Christ, of finding forgiveness in Christ and new life. God, we're so thankful that you don't put limitations on who's welcome. God, I pray through this week you'd remind us to lean on your grace in every circumstance. I pray that you would put us out there in the harvest to gather it in. Use us. Lord, bring somebody across our path. Even in the next 48 hours, to proclaim the saving message of Jesus. We thank you for it, God. Anoint each one here, God, to declare the saving message of Jesus. E anoint each one here to believe afresh the saving message of Jesus. Died on the cross, buried, resurrected, our sins forgiven, eternal life given. I thank you for that, God. Amen. The Lord bless you. Uh